this morning, we continue our series, Tough Texts, tackling the toughest topics in the Bible. We've discussed the last couple of weeks different topics about why are there genealogies, what does the Bible really say about abortion. This morning, we are looking at the question, is prayer worth my time? And the reason we ask these questions is because we need to put the Bible to test. We need to ask the hard questions of it to come to our conclusion. One atheist named Trevor Carter, when asked about prayer, said this, it makes no sense to me at all. Let's examine what the Bible says in regards to prayer. Jesus's disciples asked him how to pray, and he tells them the Lord's Prayer. You know, give us this day our daily bread. And that's all good stuff. But by observation alone, you don't need to pray for food because most of us get food, including atheists, without praying for it. There are a few unfortunate people on this planet that go hungry. The prayer also states, thy will be done. But according to the Bible, God has it all planned out already. So asking him for his will to be done seems redundant. Let's take this a step further. I see Christians praying over their dinner a lot. They ask that God bless their food. What is this supposed to do? Is the food somehow upgraded by God to be more nutritious? We could put this to the test. Let's have a group of believers eat high-fat foods for an entire month straight, all the while praying before every meal, asking God to bless their food. Then at the end of the month, we'll check their cholesterol, and my guess is they're going to be in trouble with their doctor. The most annoying thing about prayer is when I hear someone say, I'll pray for you. I think most of the time when they say, I'll pray for someone, they're really saying there's nothing I can do or I'm unwilling to do anything myself. So let's see if God will do it. I don't understand how anyone can find these words comforting. Based on what I've seen with prayer, you have about a 50-50 chance of getting it answered. In other words, it's a matter of chance, not a matter of God's will. This morning, we need to ask the question, is prayer worth my time? Or is organized religion just a scam for weak-minded individuals who find comfort in a crowd? One of the most common reasons for such skepticism of Christianity finds itself in one of the key disciplines that often leads to disappointment, and that is unanswered prayers, meaning prayers that have been prayed but not answered. Some, even in this room, might feel that if God is real, he's kind of playing hard to get. I mean, after all, we're told in Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all that call on him in truth. Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Matthew 21, 22, and all things, whatever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. So we can conclude from this that if I follow the formula, pray, I'm not wicked, I believe in God, I should, according to the Bible, have my prayers answered. I have heard, and I'm sure most of you have heard, other verses about prayer that have even less requirements than those. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Matthew 18, 19, again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. John 14, 13 through 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And last, John 16, 23 through 24. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And then we pray. We read these verses and we pray And we don't see our prayers answered. We're left asking, what's the problem? And we conclude that either our faith is so pitifully small that God essentially just ignores our prayers, or that there must be some complicating factor that's inhibiting his answer. And so we end up as prayer agnostics. Either way, the net effect is we're discouraged from praying too much so there, our prayers aren't left unanswered if we don't pray them at all. I mean, Matthew 21, 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. I mean, that verse must be talking about Christians with heroic size faith. I'm positive that you, like myself, have prayed and not received what we've asked for. When I was four years old, uh, during Sunday school, at the end of Sunday school, my teacher would say, does anyone have any prayer requests? I would always raise my hand and I would say, I want a dog. And I did this for two years. At the end of Sunday school, the teacher would say, does anyone have any prayer requests? I say, yes, pray that I get a dog. My teacher being very patient, eventually ran out of patience and went up to my parents and said, would you please just get him a dog? Please, please. We could take the time, I could go around the room, I could ask, raise your hand if you've ever had a prayer unanswered. And I'm sure that we could spend up the rest of our time saying prayers that we've prayed and God hasn't answered. Some of them may go like this. God, would you help me to pass this test that I didn't study for? I hear this often at youth group on Wednesdays. God, would you please provide me a good husband? God, would you cure my wife from cancer? God, would you allow us to have another child? God, would you somehow give me the money to pay the bills this month? I mean, if prayer really worked all the time, wouldn't we know about it? Like, why are there sermons that tell people how to pray? We should be able to pray, ask God, and God answers them. One simple search online on one website brought up 50,914 sermons on why we have to pray. Seriously, imagine with me this morning that if I prayed that God would provide West Hills enough money to pay off the rest of our mortgage, and I come in Monday and sitting on Lana's desk is a check for the exact amount of money we need to pay off our mortgage. Do you think that I'm going to keep that to myself or I'm going to shout it to the highest heavens that everyone's going to know what God did? Or perhaps 
you go to the doctor and you receive a report that there's an unknown mass on your heart. And you cry out, God, please remove this from me. And the next week you go for a follow-up procedure and the doctor says, the mass is gone. It's just disappeared. Is that something that you're going to keep to yourself or you're going to tell everyone about it? Now I know this may seem like the exact opposite of what you were expecting or hoping to hear this morning. You probably came expecting to hear hope, but it doesn't seem like I'm painting a very good picture of hope giving joy. But we need to ask these hard questions because having a good theology really doesn't mean anything until we put it into practice. Meaning we can say we believe what the Bible says, but if we're not willing to put it into practice, it means absolutely nothing. That's why we need to put the Bible to the test this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah 59, verses one through four. Isaiah 59, verses one through four. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word, the verses will also be on the screen. The Bible says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go before our Father in prayer. Father, we need your help this morning. We pray that as we look to the scriptures, we would see the truth of them, that we would see the kind of God who you truly are. The God who we pray to is the God of the universe. God, move in us that we might hear understand and believe the truths of the scriptures. We pray this in your son's precious and holy name, amen. You may be seated. This morning, there's really three lists of prayers that we need to examine. The first is prayers of the sinful that go unanswered. And the Bible makes it very clear that one of the reasons that prayers go unanswered is because of blatant unrepentant sin. My guess is this doesn't come to a surprise to you if you've grown up in the church culture. If God claims to be holy, why would he answer the prayers of those who are unholy? The majority of the teaching of the Bible of unanswered prayers backs up that unrepentant sin affects our prayers. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Proverbs 28, 9. If anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable. John 9, 31. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to a godly person who does his will. Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And 1 Peter 3, 12. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Why is this the case? Why does God not answer the prayers of those who are living in blatant sin? Well, it's because prayer is a relational activity. It's a conversation between us and God. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Becoming a Christian, one of the things that it means is that we have been adopted into the family of God so that all of our praying is like the talk of a child to a father. Like to my two-year-old, Reagan, I'm dad or daddy. I'm not Thad, Mr. Yessa, or any other name she calls. The relationship says, I am your father and you are my child. Understanding the relationship component that we have with God can bring out certain observations. If a child has a certain bad attitude or misbehaves, a good father will not give that child what he asks for. Meaning, if Reagan hits her sister, which she knows is wrong, I don't reward her by taking her out for ice cream. Accordingly, the Bible teaches that in order for our prayers to be answered, we must do the will of the Father. Jesus says in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. A child who disregards their father's words, just like in this verse, Jesus is saying, my words are the father's words. A child who disregards his father's words is not fit to have their request granted. We would not approve of a father whose behavior who gave their child everything despite the child's constant rebellion. Not just because the child doesn't deserve what they're asking for, but because it would be bad for the child and dishonor to the father's word if we rewarded a child for constantly disobeying and rebelling against their father. It is not a good thing to confirm a child in their waywardness by giving them what they ask. Parents, you are probably familiar with this. Your children disobey. And you don't reward them for disobeying. You correct them, not because you don't love them, but because you love them so much more than allowing them to continue to disobey. No, if my words abide in you, son, then ask what you will and I'll do it. That's what Jesus tells us. What we can can conclude from this is that if we're unloving, if we're irritable, if we hold a grudge, are impatient, unkind, boastful, jealous, resentful, 
We should not think that God is likely to answer our prayers. His will for us is that we love one another. Therefore, he will be slow to prosper our cause when our attitudes are unloving. If prayers that we pray go unanswered, one question we need to ask ourselves is this. Is there unrepentant, blatant sin in my life? Is there a specific reason why God is choosing not to answer my prayer? It could be because there is sin in our lives. But there is great hope for us, even if that is the reason for our unanswered prayers. For God, like a good father, loves his children unconditionally. Even if Reagan disobeys me day after day, week after week, continually, I don't stop loving her despite the fact that she's disobeying. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is like the father in the story of the prodigal son who is sitting, waiting, watching, sees his wayward son afar off and runs out and meets him and says, my son who was once dead is now alive and he embraces that son. That is the way God treats us when we come before him and confess and repent of our sin. But that isn't the only list of unanswered prayers we need to look at today. What about the prayers of the righteous that go unanswered? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10 reads this. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." You might be thinking, what is it that Paul's talking about? These revelations, this greatness. If you were to look back a few verses, you'd see Paul talking about something that is called the third heaven. And in this, we're not going to dive into this, but Paul essentially is saying, this great thing happened to me long ago, but in order to keep me from boasting, I've been given this thorn in the flesh. Many have thought to divulge whatever this thorn in the flesh was, but I don't think it's really that important. Otherwise, God would have told us. What is important for us to see is that Paul prayed three times and God did not answer his prayer by removing that thorn in the flesh. We need to see how to respond when prayers are not answered. I mean, it is serious enough that Paul prays in verse eight that it would be removed three times. I mean, this is Paul who we're talking about. The guy who spent, after his conversion, his life in prison for sharing the gospel, planting churches, guiding the early churches, proclaiming Jesus to anyone who would hear. I mean, we could say that Paul had a great relationship with God. 
but Paul didn't have his prayer answered. And this isn't the only time we might be surprised that someone who should have had their prayer answered but didn't. You might recall when Jesus was in the garden praying, he asked the Father if it be his will to remove this cup from him. And God did not remove the cup, which was Jesus' death on the cross from him. So here we have examples of people who we think should, according to verses like Mark eleven twenty four. therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. That people like that should have prayed prayers and had them answered, but they weren't. Why was Paul's prayer unanswered? Why didn't Paul's prayer work? Why didn't Jesus's prayer work? Was it sin? Disobedience? Was their lives characterized by unrepentant sin? No. But God gives us the answer to Paul's question. He says, my grace is sufficient. Meaning, God was saying to Paul and those whom Paul was ministering to that they would know God better through Paul's weaknesses. That might seem strange that Paul would know God better through an unanswered prayer, let alone an unanswered prayer that apparently caused him great agony that he pleaded and begged God three times to remove. Paul's response was not to get mad at God, not to doubt God, but to trust that God knows best. Paul is showing that prayer is a relational interaction, not merely a service transaction. A.W. Pink, the theologian, puts it this way, the popular belief about prayer reduces God to a servant, our servant, doing our bidding and granting our desires. Kind of like the genie in Aladdin, Aladdin rubs it and the genie comes out and he gets three wishes That's how many people view prayer. If I just ask God for this, he's going to give it to me. A.W. Pink continues, no, prayer is coming to God, telling him my needs and leaving him to deal with it as he sees fit, which makes my will subject to his will, not the other way around. Faith, which is how we're supposed to pray, we're supposed to pray with faith, is not some divine currency that we pay to God in order to receive whatever it is that we ask for. Like, I can say I have faith like a mustard seed, so God, you've got to do this. I'm exchanging currency for this. God isn't some vending machine that we pick the candy bar we want, insert whatever the cost is, and we get back. Faith says, I trust you, and I will prove so by how I live my life. What Paul actually received through his unanswered prayer was better than anything he could have asked for, God's grace. John Stott describes grace like this. Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. God is saying that this grace is sufficient enough for Paul to be able to continue on despite the thorn in the flesh. 
saying, I'm giving you something better that's gonna be able to help you deal with the thorn of the flesh, not remove it, but make it better for you. I can imagine myself in Paul's shoes like, no, I really want the thorn removed. That's why I'm asking for it. But what we learn is that if we're submitted to God's hand, even our unfulfilled desires can be fruitful because our unfulfilled desires can be the very thing that draws us closer to God. And the reason that Paul could boast in weaknesses and trials and hardships and difficulties is because Paul had taken it to God. He prayed to God, asking him to remove it. And God had a purpose to make himself known greater to Paul. Paul's request wasn't answered, not because of blatant sin in his life, but because of a sovereign will of God. The same sovereign God who allowed Job to suffer. Job lost all his children, his livestock, his home. He experienced terrible health issues. And yet God was in control that entire time and then even blessed Job more than he had at the end. The same sovereign God who asked Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son. God says, hey, I've got a better plan for you. I want you to go sacrifice your son. And the same God who gave his only son, Jesus, for those who hated him. This is the God whom Paul called to, to bear his thorn and endure his torments. He said, God, remove this. And God said, no, but I'll give you something better, grace. And so Paul turns from lamenting about his thorn to serving and trusting and faithfully hoping in God's sovereign plan that it is better than having his thorn removed. But the last list of prayers that we need to look at is your unanswered prayers, my unanswered prayers. Now, you probably don't have a physical list either in your Bible or at home writing out God didn't answer this prayer or God didn't answer this prayer, but you've experienced God not answering prayers or at least not answering the prayers like you thought you want them answered. There have been times in my own life where Nikki and I have prayed and prayed and prayed day after day, week after week, month after month, what seems like the same exact thing. I even remember thinking to myself, what is even the point? Why am I going to keep praying to God to deal with this certain circumstance if he's not going to do anything? The only biblical advice that I have to offer you that was offered to me by a dear friend was this, to keep praying. I mean, what is it that we're supposed to trust in during those times? Was I to trust that a certain circumstance change would eventually come to an end? No, I wasn't trusting that the circumstance would change. I needed to trust that God would work his sovereign will despite what I thought the correct circumstance was. Through prayer, we get to know who God really is. 
That is why some of the prayers we read about in the Bible give praise to God for who he is, what he's done. They're prayers of adoration, articulating truths that we know about God. Those prayers always work. Prayers of thanksgiving, thanking God for the provision that he's given us, thanking him for this daily bread. Thanking God, those prayers always work. Prayers of confession, coming to God saying, God, I have yet again sinned against you. Would you forgive me? Those prayers always work. As we saw earlier, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even in our prayers of petition, God is working. Those prayers where we ask things of God, either for ourselves or for others, Sometimes those prayers or petitions, we don't even know how to actually pray to God because the situation is so severe, we don't even have the words to pray to God. Richard Sibbs offers us this comfort. God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. Meaning, take your burdens to God, even if you don't even know what the outcome should be. Because God can make sense out of your confused prayer. Now you may be listening to this and you may have heard the quote by the atheist at the beginning and you may object and say, but God's sovereign. Does this mean that our prayers are pointless and useless? That God's just going to make his will happen? No, that's not true. Just like with evangelism or preaching or sharing the gospel, God has not only determined the end, meaning he knows what the end is, but he's also provided the means to get us to that end. Like in 1 Samuel chapter 1, when Hannah is praying that God would give her a child, it's through her prayer that Samuel comes and gives comfort and says, the Lord will answer your prayer. He will give you a child. Or in Acts chapter 12, when Peter is thrown in prison and the church there in the city gathers together and they pray for Peter's release. God doesn't just determine the end, he also determines the means to get to that end. Prayer may not change the situation, but it may change one's self. We need to ask, is that what we're after in our prayers? Do we just want God to give us stuff or just change our circumstances? Or do we want God to move in us and help us better understand his will, not ours? I mean, Paul's prayer didn't really work. He wanted God to remove the thorn and it wasn't. The torment didn't end, but as a result of how God didn't answer his prayer, Paul knew God better. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10 says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What is it that we're really after when we pray? 
what do we truly want? Not like what's the church answer that you might get asked in Sunday school, like, yeah, I want God's will to be done. But deep down at your core, what is it that you want when you're asking God for something, when you're going before him in prayer? The answer to that will let you know if your prayers are really working. Because if your prayers are not subjected to the will of God, they're your will. God may be answering that prayer request, but it's in a way that you won't understand because you're seeking something else. You're seeking your own out of a circumstance. When God says, hey, I have you in this circumstance for a particular reason. We need to ask that question so we know if our prayers are being answered. But we also need to ask the question is, how is it that we should pray? It's fine talking about unanswered prayers, but if they're unanswered, how is it that we should pray? We should pray in remembrance. You and I are better historians than we are detectives, meaning your hindsight works much better than your insight does. When I was in college, Nikki and I have been dating for a couple years. Uh, My birthday was coming up. It was on a Saturday. And I remember thinking during the week, you know, I can't wait for my birthday. I'm going to spend time with Nikki. I was young and in love, and we're going to go out. We're going to have a nice meal, spend time together. But Saturday rolls around, and Nikki texts me and says, hey, I've got plans with other people. My insight at the moment said, wow, (laughs) some girlfriend. (laughs) So some friends texted me and said, hey, let's go hang out downtown. So we piled into the truck and we went downtown and started walking around for 15, 20 minutes. And then we got to an ice cream shop and they said, hey, let's go and we'll, we'll go get you a milkshake for your birthday. And we walk in and we walk past the counter and we walk up some stairs in the back and upstairs is Nikki and there's a big banner that says happy birthday fad and there's all my friends and my family and I I was ashamed of what I had thought of Nikki. My hindsight was better afterwards than my insight was in the moment. The absolute sovereignty of God over every detail of our lives is the hope and the foundation of our prayers. We can look to the Bible and see the promises that God has made, and we can cling to those remembering them when we pray. We should pray in remembrance for what God has done, but we should also pray in confidence Matthew 21, 20 through 22 says, when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how did that fig tree wither at once? You may remember Jesus and his disciples are walking and he curses the fig tree instantly, it dies. And Jesus answered them saying, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, But even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. R.C. Sproul commenting on this passage says this, Christ wants his people to pray confidently in the power of God that they pray marvelous things to happen. And he promises that when they pray in this way, marvelous things will happen. 
What Jesus taught about prayer here must be understood in light of everything that he taught about prayer. He is not saying that if we ask anything, believing in his name, it will happen. But he was encouraging his people to run from indolence, to be bold, to be daring, to attempt those things that few people ever dreamed. We remember who it is that we're praying to and we have confidence that he can do it. The one we're praying to is the God of heaven, the God who in Genesis created all things, spoke the world into existence. There is nothing too difficult that God cannot accomplish. And we hold to that truth and we pray in confidence that God can do it. But we should also pray in reverence. We pray in reverence of who God is, remembering that he is the God of the universe, a God who is holy and blameless and perfect and sovereign over all things. All that God does is for his glory first and our benefit second. We pray because God commands us to and because it glorifies him and it benefits us. What is the ultimate purpose of prayer? What was it for Paul? What is it for any true follower of Christ? It is to ultimately know God and to make God known. Meaning when we pray in this crazy, chaotic, broken world, we pray in a way that has confidence in God and who he is and how he's sovereign over all things that we can remain hopeful even when our prayers don't go answered the way that we want. And we tell the world about it, that we have hope because of who God is. And that is our foundation of our prayers. We shouldn't be praying to someone we don't have any hope that they can do anything. I can't pray to my two-year-old, hey, please let this happen and it's going to happen. She can pretty much eat by herself and play and that's it. She can't help me when I'm discouraged and praying for God to lift a burden. What it is we're called to do and to be and we are learning what God is actually about through our prayers. Prayer is not that heavenly vending machine that I described earlier. Prayer is close fellowship with God. Pastor John Bloom puts it this way. Prayer is an especially vital and precious means God has provided for us to pursue our joy in him. Our prayers of asking God for things are meant to spring from a relationship with God, not to be the relationship with God, meaning our relationship with God shouldn't be the extent of just us asking him for things our relationship with God should be so much more than just that, that we find total satisfaction in Jesus alone, despite the difficult circumstance we may find ourselves in. If we only view prayer as a time of asking things of God, we are missing out on what our relationship is supposed to be. Looking back one more time at 2 Corinthians 12, starting verse eight, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul is moved from pleading in verse number eight that it would be removed to instead saying, hey, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weakness. I mean, this doesn't mean that he came to see his thorn in the flesh is not a thorn in the flesh. Like if I picture it's not a thorn in the flesh, it's not going to be. He said, it doesn't matter that I have a thorn in the flesh because he came to see that this torment he was experiencing served a greater purpose to help him see the beauty of the gospel in Jesus more clearly. Paul's prayer to change the thorn actually changed what Paul actually needed. Paul prayed and that prayer was answered just not how he wanted it at first answered. We shouldn't be praying for our own will, but we should be praying for the will that God has for us. The chief of our wishes should be that we live and pray in harmony with the will of God. And when we seek to pray that way, even our unanswered prayers can drive us to see the beauty of who God is and trust that as he has been faithful in the past, he will be present, faithful in the future. Faith isn't just having faith in the current moments, it's having faith in the long moments down the road, meaning God, I don't know how you're working here, but I'm gonna continue to be faithful even if I don't see the end result. The story of Job is so comforting because even though Job went through such terrible things, God never gives Job the reason why he suffered all of that. And we can take hope that we might not know why God takes us through certain circumstances. We can pray that they'd be removed and we might not never know why they're removed until we get to heaven. So I end with the question I started with. Is prayer worth our time? Yes, because prayer does something. Prayer brings us into a deeper relationship with God. Let us pray.